This episode of Futuropolis is brought to you by Braintree. Looking to set up payments for your business? Braintree gives your app or website a payment solution that accepts just about every payment method with one simple integration. Plus, they'll give you your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free. To learn more, visit braintreepayments.com future. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code FUTURE at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Vacations today are usually a week or maybe two shoehorned into a crazy busy work schedule. There's the stress of planning them, delays, road work, canceled flights, and of course the expense of it all. Which makes it hard to do the actual relaxing the vacations are designed for. But in the future, all of that hassle will be stripped away. We could cross an ocean in minutes. Or take a relaxing beach vacation from the comfort of your own living room. Hold on to your sun hats, folks, because that's what we're exploring in today's episode of Futuropolis, the future of vacations. I'm Lindsay Cradwell. And I'm Brianna Draxler. Let's start with the basics of travel, getting from one place to another. Right now, we've got a few options, planes, trains, and automobiles. And let's not forget about boats. One of our editors tried out Royal Caribbean's crazy new cruise ship of the future. It sounded like a really bizarre experience. There were robotic bartenders and skydiving lessons. But, you know, it might be nice if we could just speed up the whole transportation experience altogether. One attempt to do that is the Hyperloop. Back in 2013, Elon Musk released his designs for an ultra-fast pneumatic tube vehicle that could take you the distance of Los Angeles to San Francisco in 30 minutes flat. And now companies are finally building test facilities to make that crazy concept a reality. And then there's air travel. Planes are typically faster than driving or trains or sea travel, but they could always be faster. In October 1973, Popular Science was amazed by the speed of the new Concorde. Mentally, I had to pinch myself to be sure it was true. But sure enough, there I was, kneeling behind the captain's seat in the needle nose of Concorde 02. What's our speed, I asked. The first officer pointed to the Mach meter directly in front of the narrow-handled yoke. The needle was inching toward Mach 2.02. A bit over 13,000 miles per hour, he said, as my eyes widened. While the Concorde was phased out in 2003, Airbus is currently working on its successor. By 2023, the new supersonic plane could travel the skies at speeds of Mach 4, almost twice as fast as the original. But flying faster isn't the only goal. Flying higher has long appealed to us as well. Given the human spirit, it is inevitable, eventually, for us to move out into the solar system. That's Phil McAllister, Director of Commercial Spaceflight Development at NASA headquarters. Commercial spaceflight is something popular science has been eyeing for quite a while. Back in February 1998, the technology was finally catching up to our ambitions. Further into the future, some companies that are developing reusable spacecraft anticipate taking paying passengers into space. With so many possible market opportunities for a reusable launch vehicle, satellite launches, package delivery, military missions, and even space tourism, the development of a commercial reusable spacecraft seems very much inevitable. Still, the first step is a big one for the small companies competing in the space race. Since then, companies like SpaceX and Virgin Galactic have been taking those big steps to make commercial space travel a reality. The first person to buy a ticket to space was Dennis Tito back in 2001, and eight more have done it since then. At this point, it's prohibitively expensive, but hopefully that won't be the case for long. Here's Phil again. I think a good market for people to think about is the... um, 
climbing expeditions to Mount Everest. Originally, those were all financed by the government, and you needed, you know, a lot of people and a lot of Sherpas and a lot of um, supplies to go on those missions, and uh, and you'd only get a couple or maybe three people that would be able to summit the top of Mount Everest. You look at that today, and over time, what has happened is more people started climbing. You had more providers. Technology got a little bit better. It got a little bit cheaper. And then, again, even more people wanted to go. And now it's actually um, within reach for a good portion of uh, the people in terms of the price. And the safety has gone up uh, as well simultaneously, which is another important thing. So I think space travel might follow a very similar sort of process. Eventually, he's hoping to be one of those travelers. For just regular people, uh, just living in space, I think would be really cool. Uh, it's a very, very different kind of experience. Uh, the Apollo astronauts and some of the NASA astronauts have come back from space um, talking about the very profound effect it has had on them. When you see the Earth from space as just one, one thing, you don't see the lines between the countries and you don't see the different cultures. It's all just Earth and we are all on this mission together as human beings, it really provides a very profound uh, perspective change for a lot of people that go to space. And I think just being able to go and experience that for a few days or even a couple weeks, I think that would just be amazing. In 50 years, though, even hypersonic jets won't be fast enough for us. Maybe we'll be using phone booths like Doctor Who to zip around the world without any boarding passes or baggage checks at all. I like the sounds of that. The closest thing we have to that today is a virtual reality teleporter. So it's not really a teleporter, but it's close. Framestore, a VR studio, partnered with Marriott to build it. You walk inside, strap on a VR headset, and instantly be transported to the black sand beaches of Maui or to the top of a tower in London, complete with that salty smell of the sea and misty breeze. They even brought the teleporter to City Hall in New York so that newlyweds could go on a quick virtual honeymoon which I think is pretty sweet. As convenient as it is, though, Christine Catano, the executive producer and co-founder of Framestore, doesn't think real travel will go away. And I don't think really it's, it's a substitute for travel at the end of the day. I think, you know, it excites people to potentially visit those places. Or even in the case of, you know, a hotel, it gives you a great way to preview your hotel or your flat that you're going to rent or whatever. I think, you know, people are worried that, you know, VR is going to be a substitute for doing certain things and people are just going to be, it's going to be like Wally, a bunch of people with, you know, headsets on that are just going to sit in their parents' basement and eat Cheetos. And I just, you know, I mean, I'm sure there'll be those people, but I think, um, you know, used in the right way, I think it'll excite people to actually go to those places and visit them. What I'm really excited about with virtual reality is the possibility of experiencing a locale that you can't actually visit. Here's Christine again. Maybe inspiring people to the places that they can't go. You know, there's a lot of, um, you know, Museum of Natural History and, and other places have a lot of really realistic data for places like Mars and things like that. But, you know, we could essentially not, not, Perfect, perfectly accurately, but we could get a pretty close um, recreation, taking a little bit of latitude for a Martian environment. That's super exciting. You can give people interpretations of what it might be like to be somewhere um, 
completely fantastical or somewhere from their favorite movie or somewhere from their favorite book. If the point of a vacation is to relax, then maybe it's not that important to be somewhere exotic at all. Maybe we just need to figure out a way to recreate that feeling. Thomas Fry is a futurist, and he has a pretty novel idea for how we might go about that. We may have specific decompression experiences. I mean, going into a a decompression chamber, if you will. Um, I I always think of uh, this idea of of instant sleep, something where I can walk into this chamber and three seconds later I walk out and I'm instantly refreshed. Uh, As much as we like to romanticize things, um, most of the time we can create artificial environments that are better. But then again, in a dark, isolated room, you're missing out on the views and trying new foods and the Instagram opportunities. Yeah, I'm not convinced that's going to do it for me. To further the vacation conversation, we talked to Greg Lindsay. He's a futurist and wrote the book Aerotropolis, The Way We'll Live Next. And fun fact, he is also the only human to have ever gone undefeated against IBM's Watson on Jeopardy. We'll get to that conversation after a quick word from our sponsor. You remember the first dollar you made. Now, you want to grow to make your billionth. Have you found the right payments partner to grow with you? Braintree lets you accept every way to pay, from PayPal to Apple Pay and everything in between. All it takes is one integration. And it doesn't matter what currency your customers use, because Braintree lets you accept over 130 of them. To learn more about how your company can grow with Braintree, visit braintreepayments.com future. And now back to the conversation with Greg. Yeah, I'm Greg Lindsay. I am a journalist, a researcher. Uh, I'm a contributing writer at Fast Company. Uh, I write about transportation mobility for the New Cities Foundation. I'm on the Strategic Foresight Initiative at the Atlantic Council in Washington. So if I'm a futurist, that's my official futurist bona fides. And yeah, what else do you need me to do? I'm also a visiting scholar at NYU, and I've got a couple other fellowships too. I collect fellowships. Sounds like you need a vacation, which is the topic of our conversation today. So do you have some thoughts on what types of destinations we might be looking toward in the future? Yeah, well, there's lots of interesting trends. I mean, one one question, of course, is whether we'll still travel at all. Um, I was uh, I was in London last month with my friend Noah Rafford, who's sort of the futurist-in-chief to uh, the ruler of Dubai, and, and he imagines the future might be proximity as a service, drones with high-def panoramic cameras, and we'll put on our Oculus Rift helmets, and we'll basically be able to beam in anywhere, so you can sort of you know, have a vacation anywhere on the planet. And still be in real time. Exactly. But I think there's a lot of other interesting destinations in play. I mean, one trend that I've been following for a couple of years is uh, dark tourism, which is, you know, visit sunny Chernobyl. Um, the notion of going to places that are off-limits, sites of ecological disaster. Um, not a, a fun vacation, per se, but, you know, in the sense of uh, an enriching one, a deepening one, you know, the notion of looking at, uh, at dark sites as a, as a way to really understand humanity's impact on the planet is an interesting trend. Um, but there's a lot. I mean, the classic, the classic motivations for tourism, really, are, uh, I think, are not just relaxation, uh, but also status. You know, going back to the grand tour of the of the 18th century, you know, British nobles uh, who are touring across Italy as a way to finish their educations and as a way to basically reassert uh, their their sort of status. And so, I think you know, a lot of the future of tourism becomes you know, um, finding locations, you know, in- increasingly digging deep into cities and other places to find the undiscovered thing. So, you know, it'll be interesting. I think a lot of the the vacations of the future, a lot of the the tourism sites of the future haven't been invented yet. I think there's a whole boon in creating places like here in New York, the low line, right? You know, a version of the Highline or the or the Pool Plus, 
Um, I've been giving some talks recently to some travel groups on the notion of the time is right for travel industry people to invest in their own destinations, basically create their own infrastructure like the High Line. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, what, what people want to visit and, and what we can we can invent for them. What aspects do you think destinations should have in the future that will still kind of hit the same tones we're trying to hit with with a vacation? I think there'll be a, a new emphasis on green tourism. I mean, we've already sort of seen that trend emerge, but I think particularly, you know, again, the notion of the unspoiled, the lush, finding those last destinations. Um, you know, it was a great uh, future scenario by uh, Ian Yeoman, who's a I believe he's a New Zealander tourism futurist, you know, where he imagined, you know, uh, hyper wealthy vacations where, you know, where Chinese uh, uh, financiers basically uh, swim with the last dolphins on the planet and learn Maori baking techniques in New Zealand. Um, you know, this notion of vanishing cultures, vanishing peoples, this will be the really high end, you know, watching the world before it's despoiled. Um, but I think, you know, I think for mainstream tourism, again, I think it's going to go back to the notion of, you know, the authenticity aspect is going to increase. You know, I think, you know, just as we've seen in, in and, you know, I'm interested in cities, so I sort of see these trends of this. Just as we've seen the sort of resurgence in interest in the authentic in cities, you know, and not prefab suburbia, I think, you know, we might start to see a turn away from, you know, the Disney worlds of the world towards these more authentic experiences. And and one trend that's definitely already real is, you know, the middle class tourism experience in the United States is falling out. Like the median income of, di- of families that do, dis- do visit Disney is something like $95,000 in household income. And Disney is making it a more luxury experience. So that raises interesting questions about, you know, whether vacations become de facto luxuries because of austerity in America. Absolutely. And I think there already are some, some of those types of things. Space tourism, it's, you know, cost prohibitive for most of us. And so you mentioned that status is a huge part of why we travel. Do you think that it'll just sort of branch off so that there are different types of vacations, some for status and some where the middle class will still be able to access these new and different opportunities? Yeah, absolutely. Unless we go into like dark ages America where there is no more tourism because we're all we're all driving for Uber 24-7 at that point. Um, no, I mean, it's funny you mentioned space tourism because like that's the ultimate example of that, right? I had a conversation uh, a couple years ago with Esther Dyson, um, the venture capitalist who is in fact a cosmonaut. She totally trained for the mission. She never went into space herself. And Esther explained to me that the real appeal for space tourism will be to uh, cash-rich, time-poor executives. Because if you want to climb Everest, you have to spend a month at base camp. But, you know, you could totally go in space in just a couple of days. It doesn't, doesn't take that long. So so I love the notion that space, we think of, you know, vast distances and incredible amounts of time. Now, actually, there'll be plenty of people taking suborbital flights because they'll be the hyper-rich. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think for the rest of us, you know, it, uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see sort of what, like, low-cost tourism emerges from that. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to know what the next generation Branson, Missouri is or, uh, or Las, you know, the, the, you know, an old school version of Las Vegas, you know, the old days of Circus Circus. Um, you know, I increasingly think that's, uh, again, that's our devices for a lot of us. So how about the ways that we're going to be getting to these places? I know you specialize also in transportation. So what is that going to look like when we're, you know, is the road trip going to exist or, or the the flights across the country that take half a day, you know? Um, you know, yeah, we could start to imagine, you know, these sort of environments, right, where, uh, where you know, uh, the journey itself is actually the whole entertainment out of it. Um, or, you know, we can start to imagine more fanciful forms. So how about the idea that climate change is changing the environment? We a lot of times think about the exhaust from planes contributing hugely to that. And 
do you think that that's going to change our habits in terms of how we travel? Um, I don't think it's going to change if if it's left to us to think about it. I mean, we can all buy carbon offsets for our flights now, and, and the vast majority of passengers don't. Hyperloops will be able to, to take us across the country at 750 miles per hour and make it possible to have these incredibly affordable journeys. $30 a round trip is what he was arguing. This is sort of the trend we've always seen. People want to range farther and farther all the time. You know, Our ability to understand the world you know, in the television and internet era has led to even more travel, not less. I mean, you know, I sit in conversations all the time that imagine a world where telepresence, you know, proximity as a service will kill our, our desire to want to see these things for ourselves. And that has never, ever been true. Yeah, it's more tempting us rather than replacing that. So how with virtual reality vacations, what, I guess, what itch is that going to scratch if not replacing tourism? I don't know. The only the only way I can see that as a really viable uh, candidate for us is if, you know, we realize the whole vision of William Gibson's SimStim from the 1980s, like neuromancer novels, where, you know, you don't just see it, but you almost inhabit another person where, you know, you have television hosts become complete sensory hosts, things like that, um, you know, which is hard to imagine now. But, you know, something like that where you actually do feel it in every way. I think that as, you know, populations are growing and it's getting more crowded and busy, sometimes you want to just escape from it all. Oh, totally. There's been, you know, theorized for a couple of years now the notion of like black hole resorts, you know, or essentially, you know, where literally your signals from devices are jammed. Um, you know, imagine a world of Colonial Williamsburg. And that whole trend goes back through, you know, retro futures like Westworld, right? You know, which I think they're remaking. Um, so, you know, we that whole notion of like complete uh, disenchantment um, and, and you know, removal from the, the modern world. Um, I've talked to some travel futurists, you know, who look at the notion of like the temporal vacation, right? You won't travel in place, but you'll travel through time, almost sort of like cosplaying, you know, uh, meets your vacation. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, if we want to have a sort of rejection of, of modern life, uh, you know, as, as part of your vacation where you're totally removing yourself. And do you think there there will be a way that we can get some of the benefits of a vacation without actually traveling? Um, yeah, I definitely think for those of us who live in cities, you know, we're, we're going to see a whole sort of new generation of, of media that's going to allow us to basically vacation or discover in the places we live. So, you know, the, the co-founder of Groupon, you know, has created a new company called Detour, uh, which is essentially GPS-aided, uh, you know, audio tours. So essentially you can discover the hidden parts of cities. It will guide you through the back alleys, led by an expert who's already sort of walked this path. It will know which direction you're facing. Um, and so it's incredibly immersive. Uh, for what it is, and all it requires is a smartphone, essentially. We'll be back right after this message from our sponsor. Online presence is pretty important today, so as you're picking out your outfit in the morning, you want to look good, and even more important, you need to look good on your website. For that, you can go to squarespace.com. Sites look professionally designed regardless of your skill level. You don't need any coding experience. I, for example, have never coded anything in my life, and it can still look nice. It's intuitive, it has easy-to-use tools, and you get a free domain name if you sign up for a year. So, sounds like a pretty good time to do it. Start your free trial site today at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure you use the offer code FUTURE to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. And we're back. Do you think there will still be hidden gems in locations when the information is ubiquitous and we can cross an ocean in 15 minutes? Do you think there'll still be those hard-to-find places? 
Yeah, it'll be interesting, though, if we burn through them faster, right? This is why I think, you know, this is why I kind of go to the point of the notion of we have to build more vacation destinations because we're running out of them so quickly or we're burning through them so quickly. Even, even for example, Chinese tourists, you know, who are, of course, been driving the whole, you know, the leading edge of tourism in Europe for almost a decade now. Um, they have a whole parallel world of destinations that they go to that Western tourists would never see. Um, I believe there's a tree at Oxford mentioned by a Chinese poet and all these sorts of things. It's almost like we'll imagine, you know, parallel worlds of tourism where different cultures will line up for different uh, different sets of amenities um, because, you know, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll have to sort of do that. We'll have to divide the world amongst ourselves so we can all fit into it somehow. So how about the places we stay? Are there other visions of what hotels might look like? Yeah, I mean, lots of people imagine all sorts of trends within hotels. I mean, uh, you know, uh, furniture that readjusts to itself. I mean, take the capsule hotel like uh, Citizen M, for example, or Yotel, um, and imagine, you know, uh, a furniture that's able to actually reassemble itself, you know, essentially robotic, internal robotics there. Um, so you can basically maximize space. Uh, the MIT Media Lab has been doing this for years, imagining hyper-configurable uh, uh, furniture. And you can imagine the walls are all screened, so you could fit into 150 square feet and feel like, you know, you're in the great outdoors. Um, we could start seeing that, you know, all these sorts of capsule hotels everywhere to make it even more affordable and and, uh, and alleviate some of that crowding. You know, the most influential hotel maybe in the world, or at least in the U.S. right now, is the Ace Hotel here in New York. You know, its lobby scene, you know, has become this incredible place of, of, of people buzzing and actually doing work. And, you know, a Chinese investment chain has actually uh, bought a, a co-working chain here in New York to actually start appending it to hotels. So I think we're going to see a whole trend actually for hotels where they're going to go back to what they were historically, which is these incredible meeting places and all these sort of mixed use. The living room of the city, I think, will be really interesting. When you're talking about creating these new destinations, do you have a vision for what your ideal vacation would look like? So when I go to a place, I'm not really interested in what I'll see. I'm interested in who I'm going to meet when I'm there. And it seems like that humanity is critical to so many of these things that we talk about on the show with, you know, how is work going to be different? Yes, technology can make all these changes, but the human interaction is critical. And I think that, you know, with with more people, is that going to be increasingly so or is that going to be more problematic or... No, I think it's really powerful. I mean, so I was addressing uh, uh, tourism folks this fall, and one of the questions I asked them is, what's your Tinder strategy, right? Because you're going to have to have one. I mean, people who are going to this place who can deepen their experience of it, and now with the new passport feature, you can now go to that place before you get there and pre-hook up with someone, which I love. Um, You know, this notion of, you know, you can go trawling around, so when you do get there, you're all set to go rather than wasting time by fiddling around on the app. So, yeah, I definitely think we're going to have a new generation of tools or apps or features that will help us find these people that will deepen our experience of the place. A lot of times science fiction does a great job of predicting where things are going. And I'm just wondering if you have any particular science fiction influences or inspirations that you anticipate or would like to see um, in, in vacations in the future. Oh, wow. Well, you know, I mean, you know, I guess the frontier is total recall, right? You know, have memories of vacations. No no expense, no must, no fuss. Just simply, you know, have warm memories of experiences you never had. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, I mean, teleportation would be would be my thing, which is, of course, exactly why, you know, the carbon footprint of air travel is so high. We want godlike powers to fly around the world on a moment's notice, and it has godlike consequences. So, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess the... Uh, as someone who's sitting here jet lagged from having flown 13 hours yesterday, uh, a, a cure to jet lag would be my number one number one choice. If we can somehow figure out the drugs that will sort me out, that would come in very handy. That's that's definitely high on the to-do list. Great. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate you taking the time to come in today. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks to our guest, Greg Lindsay, author of Aerotropolis, The Way We'll Live Next. 
A quick note to our listeners, this is the last episode of Futuropolis for Season 1. We'll be back with Season 2 on February 17th. In the meantime, you can enjoy listening or re-listening to the 12 episodes we have so far. My favorite was the space food episode. I think my new career goal is to be a space botanist. I think the language episode is my favorite. I hadn't really realized how much that's going to change in the next hundred years. If you want more, you can find us at popsci.com or on Twitter at popsci. And since this is our last episode for a little while, make sure you hit subscribe on whichever app you're using to listen to this so that you can get our new episode when it comes out. Futuropolis is part of the Panoply Network. Check out the entire roster of podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. We'd like to thank Andy Bowers, Henry Malovsky, and Laura Mayer at Panoply. Thanks to Lydia Chain for her research and production help on this episode. And to Sophie Bushwick for being the voice of our archives. I'm Brianna Draxler. And I'm Lindsay Cradwell. Thanks for listening. See you next time. In the future. <laughs>